So the kids are going to their time. Um, I was walking in and I saw the title of the lesson this morning, um, 10 Ways to Be Perfect. And that's taken from Exodus. I thought, oh my goodness, wow, they're really getting to it. So 10 ways, kids, you got you to gotta get all these right. You got to get all these 10 commandments right or you won't be perfect and you will not be able to have a relationship with God. Well, actually, that's a good truth to learn because it reminds us that God's law and His rules for us are perfect and that, and that honestly, um, we fail at them over and over, don't we? That's why we need the good news. The good news is that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of those laws. That He perfectly um, lived them out. That He obeyed them. He lived that perfect life for us. And then He died and rose again so that we wouldn't have to be punished for breaking those laws. So our kids are learning that right now. Um, they're learning about those, those laws. They're learning about what... Um, what God expects of His people, and then they're going to be pointed to the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus that, that is the answer to our inability to live out those laws, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Well, today um, we are finishing up our study in 1 Timothy. I'm, I, always, um, I always get very excited at the start of a series, the start of something, I'm always ecstatic, and I'm just like, yes, this is going to be exciting. I can see some wonderful things happening. Um, we're going to have a good time with this. We're going, to, we're going to learn so many new things. We're going to be challenged. Um, all these great experiences that we're going to have starting something new. But then when you get into it a while, right? Get a few weeks into it. Get a few months into it. And then you start to think, Okay, what's next? And these things start to get a little challenging, a little bit difficult. I kind of like church planting. Kind of like being in a church plant, maybe. You know, it gets a little difficult. Um, and we need to be renewed occasionally. And so, um, a lot of times at the end of a series, or maybe if you are in school at the end of the school year, or if you've done um, college, you know, studies, you, you get to just get to the end of the quarter, the end of the semester, and you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you just can't wait to be done with it, right? Today, we're going to be done with First Timothy. But we're not going to be done with the gospel. That's what I love. And so we're going to see here that when Timothy um, receives the last instructions from Paul here, that, that the, the, the mission isn't over. The charge to be faithful to the gospel, the charge to, to know it and to live it out in the household of God, it doesn't end with a, a sermon series. It doesn't end at the end of a semester. It doesn't end at the end of a year. It doesn't end when we, we get to a point, uh, a, a marker in our lives, and we, you know, a, a baby is born, for instance. You know, it doesn't end there. It's only the beginning of something else, potentially even more wonderful, right? So as we're going through transitions, as we're going through this holiday season, Thanksgiving is this week, Christmas is coming up in a month, and then there's the new year and a fresh start for a lot of things, um, consider that the gospel doesn't stop. It continues and it continues to advance. However, there are some things that are going to distract us from being faithful to the gospel. 
distract our pursuit of the gospel. So as we're talking today, this morning, in pursuit of the gospel, I want you to look with me in your uh, Bibles, whether you have them on a device or you have them in a Bible under the pew or in other, some other version. Um, read with me. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm just going to backtrack. And we're going to... Um, I didn't tell, I didn't tell um, Nick that we were going to do this, so just bear with me, Nick. Um, but ba- back up with me to chapter 6, um, the, en- the end of verse 2, the beginning of that, that paragraph there. And I'm going re- to read that in context all the way through the passage that we have for this morning, okay? Follow with me as I read aloud. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage in depth, um, I pray, God, that you will give us understanding into it. 
Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be the, the one speaking through me, that what, what we hear in our souls, in our spirits, will be your word speaking to us, to the needs in our lives, to the, the issues that we have, to the doubts that we have, to the fears that we may have, to the, the pleasures and the, the things that we, we idolize and we, we look to. Speak to those things. Speak to us directly. Transform us by your word this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Run from anything that contradicts the gospel. That's the first thing he's he's saying here. Run from anything that contradicts the gospel. But as for you, O man of God, he says, flee these things. Flee these things. Well, I read that that previous passage, because I wanted you guys to see that in context that this message today is, is basically part two of last week's message. What Matt brought to us last week. Flee these things. What are these things? These things, these different doctrines. These things that don't accord with what Jesus has taught. Um, these controversies and these quarrels. This, um, this seeking after riches... In the, in the ministry of the gospel. That there, that there are these folks who imagine that, that if they are godly, that there will, they will get some kind of material gain from it. Hmm. We have a lot of that going on, don't we? We have a lot of that going on in our culture. We have a lot of that going on around us. There are all of these things that are, that are choking out if, if you to put it that way, um, to use Jesus' word for it, these, these worries of the world, the, the material wealth and possessions, they're choking out the gospel and making that seed that, that is in us unfruitful. They're choking it out. And they're all around us. Our popular culture is full of false gospels. Um, actually, I, I thought it would be interesting to look at what is, what, what's, the, what, what's, the, um, what's um, popular on the New York Times bestseller list right now in the area of religion. So I go to the website, and there it is right there for November 2014, a list of the top 10 bestsellers in the category of religion, spirituality, and faith. And thought, well, surely there will be some great mm, gospel-centered, focused, lifting up Jesus, mm, maybe not. Well, um, Oprah Winfrey's on there collection of her essays, What I Know For Sure. So if you worship at the, at the throne of Oprah, you have a book that you can hold on to, and, and it's a devotional for your life. It's a devotional for your life. What I Know For Sure. Another book by a man named Sam Harris is called Waking Up. And in that book, he is uh, attempting to uh, express how we can all be spiritual without the trappings of religion. We don't need a church. We don't need each other. We don't need a community. We don't need um, biblical, a biblical form of church in which Timothy is told very clearly in this book, this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to behave. This is what elders look like. This is what deacons look like. This is how you worship. Well, we can... We can go to his book and find out how we can be spiritual without um, all the religious stuff. And we can wake up from that 
kind of dark, those dark ages of religion. Um, and then uh, um, finally, this one is on the top ten list. You Can't Make This Stuff Up is the title of a book by a woman named Teresa Caputo. I hope you don't know who that is. She's the Long Island medium. Maybe you've seen advertisements for a show like that, a reality show. So here's a woman from New York who uh, is a medium, and she listens to spirits, and she um, helps people connect with their past family and friends. And she's got this book about, you can't make this stuff up. This is all real. It's all true. It's all happened to me. And it can happen to you too, I'm sure, as part of the message. All these, there are other titles on there too. Um, there are Christian authors in there. Um, many of them, or a couple of the titles, deal with the end times. So that's, that's really, you know, if we just get that figured out, then we'll know what to do with the gospel, right? I mean, I don't want to poo-poo it, but certainly not a, here's, here's Jesus, let's understand who Jesus is and what he can do for your life. Let's try to figure out what's going to happen. And then there are other books that kind of fall into the category of Christian self-help. There's only, there are only two books on there about Jesus. One of them, one of the books is an apologetic. Why we can trust that Jesus is who he said he is. I'm not, that, that's probably a pretty good book to be on that list. And the other one is a book written by Bill O'Reilly. His book, Killing Jesus. I don't know why it's still on the bestseller list, but it is. And uh, he has some interesting ideas about who Jesus was and, how the, and what happened at the crucifixion. The point is that all of these false gospels, these false spiritualities, is all that false spirituality is out there. And we need to be discerning. We need to dis be discerning. How are we to respond to all of that out there? Well, I think one of the ways we can respond is um, the way Joseph responded when Potiphar's wife approached him and said, hey, come sleep with me. He ran. He ran away. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. But as for you, O man of God, and that phrase, O man of God, is that an emph emphatic term of you are a servant of God. You are someone God is using for his purposes and his glory and his ministry. Kind of has that Old Testament feel of here's the, here's the prophet that God is using. And that, that applies to every single one of us who are following Jesus. That applies to every one of us. And he's saying to us, flee, run away. Run away from these things. Run away. Look, look further on because um, it, although these false gospels, um, these, these blatant um, false spiritualities are going to distract us from the gospel, so also um, wealth is going to distract us from the gospel. That's what he said in the previous passage. Um, you... Um, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, he said. And so, but down in verse 17, in this passage, he says, let's talk for a moment, let me talk for a moment about the rich people. The people who are wealthy at this present age. And so we can take that and go, well, who are the rich in this present age? Is it Bill Gates? You know, is it um, Oprah Winfrey herself, billionaire? Um, who, who are the rich people in our present age? Well, uh, by most standards, by the world's standards, every single one of us would be considered rich. You know, just, just look around the, the globe. And, and even though we're like 
we feel like at the end of the, the month, we sometimes don't even have two pennies to rub together because we're, we're pushing it and the ends don't always meet at the end of the, you know. Um, but we have been given so much. We have been given so much. And so what, what God says to us through here is, okay, don't be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. How many of us are um, concerned about the future? How are we going to pay the bills next month? What would, ha- what would happen if something really devastating took place? What if, a, what if cancer took place? What if, what if um, a, a spouse were to die? Would the insurance be enough? Would I be able to get by? Would I be able to pay off the house? Do I have enough in my bank account so that I can retire when I'm 60, 63, 65, uh, 70? We're concerned about the future. We're concerned about that. But the fact is, what, what, what Paul says here is that riches are uncertain. There is no certainty in riches. Our, our economy could go at any moment. And what would we have then? All the ones and zeros that make up our bank accounts aren't going to mean much at all in a, in, a, in a setting like that. Riches are uncertain. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus said. He also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James, in James 4, 13 to 15, he says, um, those of you who are going around saying, hey, we're going to go spend a year here. We're going to invest some money. We're going to make some money at the end of this time. Our investment's going to be 10, 12%. We'll double our investment here. We'll do this and that. We're going to do all of this stuff because we have to, we have, to have something we can hold on to because we have to have some certainty in our life. Well, Paul, James says to them, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or we will do that because you don't know. It's uncertain. The lure of wealth has that, the ability to actually take our focus off of the gospel. Consider Ananias and Sapphira. They were so concerned with um, saving face before the apostles, and they said, well, we want to be considered godly. We want to be, we, godliness, ooh, there's great gain in godliness. Look at these people are, are getting a lot of attention for their godly actions of selling their property and giving it to the poor. So they said, well, we'll do that too, except for then we'll just hold on to half of it and we'll only give part of it. We'll say we gave the whole thing. You know what happened to them. They fell dead at the apostles' feet. The, our wealth has that ability to just keep us distracted from the good news, to keep us distracted from the mission. Paul, look what Paul also says about these things that we are to run from um, that contradict the gospel. Well, he says it in, in my, in my uh, English version. He says it that way. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. He says that in verse 20. The Greek for contradictions is antithesis, which, if you extrapolate into English, is anti, antithesis, right? It's, it's an it's the opposing or the anti-view of something. The rest of the world calls it knowledge. They call it the gnosis, the thing that we can know for sure. But Paul says it's the antithesis. 
It's, it's a contradiction. It's not the gospel. It's a false gospel. And we are to run away from that. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's where we're at, folks. That's where we're at. Everyone's looking for something else. Everything's, everyone's looking for an answer. Everyone's looking for knowledge. We, we live in a time where we can know everything. So, we can, in some ways, that means we can know nothing. At least nothing about Jesus. Nothing about God. Nothing about His Word. Consider this, the contemporary issue of homosexuality. And read what, uh, let, me, let me read to you what a professed evangelical pastor has, has written about that in the last decade. He said this, It seems to me that the theology of our history um, does not deal sufficiently with these issues of sexuality for our day. I do not mean this as a critique, but as an acknowledgement that our times are different. I do not mean that we are a more or less sexual culture, but one that knows more about the genetic, social, and cultural issues surrounding sexuality and gender than any previous culture. We know it. We have all the answers now, right? He says, Christianity, Christianity will be impotent to lead a conversation on sexuality and gender if we do not boldly integrate our current understandings of humanity with our theology. This will require us to not only draw new conclusions about sexuality, but will force us to consider new ways of being sexual. There you go. There you have it. So how should we respond to that kind of knowledge? Run away! Run away! Right? Flee these things. When we hear that, run away. Don't buy their books. <laughs> Don't go to their conferences. Warn other people. I'm not saying we need to come up with a blacklist and, and, say, and say, hey, here, and badmouth these people. And there's, there are times when we need to have some conversations with them and engage this conversation about these things. But if we're, trying to, if, we're being, if we're concerned about the gospel advancing in our own lives and in the lives of people around us, run away. If it contradicts the gospel, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. So run away from the gospel, but what we should do is chase after what is consistent with the gospel. Chase after what is consistent with the gospel. Paul says it straight up here. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue. Every one of us is pursuing something. We're looking for something. We're seeking something. We are. And we who are gathered together in Christ confess that we have found it in Christ. Yet that doesn't stop our pursuing. That doesn't stop our seeking. We are still seeking. We are still pursuing. And there are times when we as believers will come across something that looks pretty good to pursue. We're, we are like, we are like the, um, the, the hunting dog. Right? We're like the hunting dog. You take the hunting dog out and it's disciplined and it's going to go after this. It's going to point at the, whether it's going to, you know, the bird or whatever it's going to do. Right? It's trained to do its, its job. But it's really, really easy to get distracted. Right? Squirrel. You know, rabbit. You know, that. that's, why we, that's why we talk about chasing rabbits in a conversation or in a, in a sermon. Um, 
Because the hunting dog can get easily distracted by something else. It knows what it's supposed to do. It, it has a purpose. But it's always pursuing. And we're always pursuing something. We're trying to find meaning and purpose and pleasure. We want peace. We want influence or power. And we want wealth and we want security. And we're pursuing these things. Whatever will give our lives meaning. We want to go after it. But Paul said to pursue these things. Righteousness. And in this context, he's talking about the right living. The right living. Now, the righteousness comes from God, and we are declared righteous in Christ because of what He has done for us. But here, Paul's, Paul's saying, look, living according to God's will and His word. Righteousness. Godliness is, is that life, that, that Christian life that everyone can observe. They can see that person, uh, is, what, what they do is consistent with what they believe. They live as a Christian. Faith. And, and again, faith can be the, our belief in Jesus, belief in the gospel, belief in God. It can also mean our faithfulness to the gospel. Our faithfulness in walking consistently with God um, according to the gospel. And I think that's what he's, he's probably nuancing there. That it's our faithfulness to, to Jesus. Faithfulness to God and how we live. Love is, is how we treat others based on the gospel. The gospel has transformed us and it's given us a new heart and a new way of looking at each other and so we love. Steadfastness is perseverance, determination, determination to follow through with what God has called us to do and, and gentleness. This word in the Greek only appears here in this, one, only here in the New Testament, just one time. But it's, it has an, the idea that it's the way we treat other people. Do we treat people with gentleness? N namely, do we treat our opponents with gentleness? You know, it's really easy to say, run away! And, so, and, and write books that are going to sell pretty well in evangelical circles and saying, don't read books by this person. Criticize this person. Tear this person down because they're false teachers. They're false prophets. They're preaching a prosperity gospel. They're preaching worldly humanism. They're preaching new age mysticism. They're on tour with Oprah. You know, okay, so it's easy to, it's easy to name names. But when we, when we uh, encounter them and we converse with people who believe differently, do we do it with gentleness? Does our gentle spirit help to facilitate their repentance and their restoration, their reconciliation? Jesus gave us something to pursue. Uh, all of these things... Um, righteousness, godliness, etc., are really in contradiction to the list that he li listed earlier about um, controversies and quarrels about words, which was envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions, constant friction. So Paul is contrasting those, and he's using these terms kind of as a summation of this is, the, this is what the gospel is all about, and this is what it should look like in our lives. So Jesus said something very clearly to us from Matthew 6.33 when he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, all the other things that we worry about. It's not, it's not a surprise that money is in part of the conversation because it's like the thing that we worry about the most. How are we going to get by? How are we going to quit a job, move to Washington State and have money to buy a home, to, to make a living, to make ends meet, to pay the bills, to pay for insurance. It's not a, it's, it's not a surprise. Uh, 
Paul's bringing it up here. And that Jesus talks about it in his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you're worried about all those things. God's got that taken care of. You seek first his kingdom. You make the decisions that are going to be obedient to Jesus. You pursue God and his will and his gospel. These other things will, will take care of themselves. So when we do that, we, it separates us out from all of the other stuff of life. It separates us out from that. And, and, that's, and that's what he says here about the rich people in verses 18 to 19. He says, instead of doing that, do good. Use your wealth to do good to other people. To be rich in good works. Use your wealth to be generous and to be ready to share with other people. That's how, that's how you pursue the gospel. That's how you chase after what is consistent with the gospel. Because Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will find it. He told the, he told the rich young ruler this. And some of us, and he may be telling us to do that too. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. That happens. Sometimes, sometimes God will tell somebody today, even in our culture of all things, that you need to get rid of those possessions and live more humbly. Live more simply. And use whatever you got to bless other people. So you don't have all those distractions. You don't have all those baggages. The writer of Hebrews said, let us, let us throw aside everything that hinders and run the race with perseverance. What do we need to get rid of? What do we need to let go of so that we can chase after what is consistent with the gospel? It's not easy to pursue these things. It takes discipline. It takes hard work. It's like, it's like an athlete who's preparing for an event. right? How many of you played sports in the past or maybe still do? Yes, Jamie. Jamie's competed. She knows what it means to, to train and then to go to the competition. You've done all of that hard work and then there you are in the midst of the com- competition. You're working as hard as you can. You're fighting the good fight. And that's what he says there back in verse 12. Fight the good fight. He, the word, the Greek word is agonizomai. Agonizomai. It should sound familiar, kind of like agony or agonize. <laughs> that's, where we, that's where we get our English word. We get it from this Greek word. It means a struggle. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It's agonizing. It's sometimes very painful. It's hard work. It takes discipline. But the outcome of that kind of discipline is victory in competition. It's the people who train the hardest who achieve the most. And for, for, the, for the follower of Jesus, it is faith that we are fighting for, faith that we are training in, training in godliness. Consider Paul's charge. I charge you, he says in verse 13. I charge you. He's, he's reminding Paul, or reminding Timothy, of the charge that started out from the very beginning, verse 3 of chapter 1, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, um, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He repeats that charge and he wants Paul, or wants Timothy, excuse me, to know that it's a serious matter. And so he calls on God and Jesus to witness this, this charge in the presence of God. Look what he says about God. 
in the presence of God who gives life to all things. That's in the present tense. God is presently giving us all things. He gives us life and breath and everything, Paul said in Acts 17.25. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God. He is giving us everything. That's why he says in verse 17, the, put, your, put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The things that we have are meant for our enjoyment and they're meant for the blessing of other people. And thus we enjoy them even more. But they're there from God. In the presence of God. And then he says in the presence of Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What is this good confession? Well, first of all, it's in past tense. He made the good confession. The the fact is that it's that it's history. What we believe in and what we put our trust in is history. It really happened. Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, it's the basis of our relationship with God. It's the basis of who we are now. And it's also the basis of our future hope. Our future hope. Because of what He's done in the past, we have hope and a future with God. What did Jesus do? What was this good confession? In that moment, in that agonizing, struggling, uh, suffering moment, Jesus had been beaten. He had been accused. He had been tortured. And there he was being questioned before Pontius Pilate. And he didn't back down from the truth in that instance. He didn't say, well, hey look, you know, I'm a good person. I have rights here. Um, consider all of the other things that I've done. Um, He didn't make any excuses. He didn't attempt to defend himself. He made the good confession. He said, I am. I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the King. Go ahead and kill me. I'm not going to deny it. I will not deny the truth. Jesus there becomes the example for us. What confession are we making? Will we deny the truth? Will we deny the gospel? Will we deny everything that God has revealed to us in His Word in order to get numbers? Or in order to get an audience? Or in order to avoid something we don't want to go through? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a great example, aren't they? Remember their story? There they are, these three young Jewish men living in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, when the music plays, you've got to bow down, you've got to worship this idol. It represents me. You need to worship this. They, they wouldn't do it. They said, well, we're not going to bow down. They said, look, the God we serve is able to protect us from that fiery furnace. You want to throw us into that big old pit of fire? and burn us up, you go right ahead. But God, the God we serve, is able to save us from that. And you know what? Even if He doesn't, we're still not going to disobey Him. We're still not going to deny God. We'll we'll go in there and you can can kill us. Well, their story 
ended miraculously, didn't it? That doesn't happen with every believer who is suffering nowadays. It doesn't happen when they say, you can chop my head off, I'm still not going to deny Jesus. They may say, I believe that that axe can disintegrate in your hand and God can protect me from this. But even if God doesn't, I'm still not going to deny my Jesus. And there are, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, men, women, and children, who are dying every day just like that. Who have not denied the truth. Have not denied God. We need to fight. We need to fight. We need to fight for the glory of God that is confessed in the gospel. The glory of God that is confessed in the gospel. Jesus made the good confession. And look what, look what Paul goes on to say. He said that he will display his, appear, his appearing at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion or power. Amen. You know, the only thing that's going to conquer our fears of, in this life is a greater more magnificent, more glorious fear. The fear of God. Knowing Him and seeing Him in His glory. You know, people get really upset when we start talk, talking about the implications of, of God being sovereign over our lives. Of Him being the King of kings and Him being the Lord of lords. Him being over all presidents, over all governors, over all city councils and mayors over all school districts, over all lords, over all kings. He's the only one with immortality. He's the only one who dwells in this unapproachable light, this glory that no one else can see. People get upset about that. You know, when Paul wrote these words, the people who read them didn't think, Oh yeah, that's, that's totally cool, man. That's awesome. That's true. I agree with you. They went, what? Are you saying that as opposed to what other people believe? But what about all these other gods? What about all these other beliefs? What about all these other practices? Man, that's pretty offensive. How, you're going to offend a lot of people talking like that. Talking about Jesus as the only exclusive way to God. You're going to offend our government. You're going to offend our, our schools. You're going to offend our businesses. It's no different then as it is now. To hold on to this, no matter what, is going to be contrary to everything the world believes. We're not living in a new time. It was the same then. This contradicted everything that, that popular society believed. And it does today as well. See, anyone who argues that we need to adjust our theology to fit the culture we live in doesn't acknowledge that God's story, which is the good news of Jesus, is controversial in every culture. And we need to hold on to that. 
and we just embrace it. That that's the story we have. That our story is the best story. It's not your story, but it's the best story. It's God's story. And it's the only story that really matters for anything. It runs counter to every human way of thinking and every human doctrine. But it's true. We don't need to make it easier to, for people to accept. We don't need to make adjustments here, changes there, tweak a few things there, add a few things here. We just need to proclaim it and explain it. That's it. The Apostle John was shown a vision. He was shown a vision of God's glory, the culmination of the gospel. Here's what he saw. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the elders, they laid down their thrones and they said, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. My friends, we serve an amazing God. If, if, if we can't get past the language that John is using to try to figure out what it is he's saying, surely we can try to comprehend the universe and let our minds get blown by that. And did the think... By the will of God, they existed and were created. We went to see a movie the other day. We went to see um, Interstellar. Kind of a crazy space movie. Pretty amazing to see all of this stuff going on and space flight and trying to find different planets and um, black holes and Crazy stuff that's just going to blow your mind. How could that be? How could that happen? What is space and what is time anyway? God created it. He created all of this. He is glorious. And we must have a vision of God in His glory to go with the simple gospel story that we tell, that we proclaim. Well, Paul's final command was, to Timothy, was to guard the deposit. Guard it. Keep it. Preserve it. Hold on to it. See, the gospel has been given to the church to be guarded, kept, preserved. It's been entrusted to us by God. It's His gospel. 
It belongs to Him. It's His story. It's about Him, and He owns it. <laughs> We're just stewards of it. We just humbly receive this, this deposit, and we, we make it our responsibility then, not, not to change it or to add to it, but to pursue it. Pursue the gospel. And, and by pursuing the gospel, um, we do so um, by being faithful to it. By being faithful to it. Faithful to God's word. How faithful? Let me ask you these questions. How faithful are you with what God has entrusted to you? All of the things that God has entrusted to you. How faithful are you, are you, faithful are you with the gospel that you've been given? Do you, do you read and meditate on God's word? Do you study it with others? Are you obedient to it? Many of us study it, study the heck out of it, but have a hard time obeying it. 